Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, coming to you from the Treehouse here in Southern California, and he is the man who traded being interviewed by Spin for spinning yarn with me. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? <laughs> That's right, man of the people. <laughs> That's right. You know Out what's here. in my head right now? We don't talk about Bruno. No, hey, man, no, we got to pay no. for that. I'll, oh, I can't. I'm I can't not even do my version. <laughs> <laughs> I think not... Lynn would be cool with me singing this. He may uh, be that, cool. that is from the film Encanto. If nobody's seen it, I've seen it about 11 times in the last two weeks. And the songs are <laughs> earworms permanently stuck in my head. He is. He's good. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. He's I would be cute. afraid not of Lynn trying to sue you or, yeah. or us, of the mouse. Oh, old Diz? <laughs> old Disney? Walt Disney is going to wake up from his cryogenic chamber and realize a Jew is singing in canto. No good. But, Denny, I don't want to talk about me this week. Yeah. You've been driving across the country. Dude. You hit me up from, from Memphis, from Nashville, from all these towns going, going across. How's it going? Dude, it, it's been good. So we left JC um, late. Jersey City. Yeah, Jersey City for those that are not aware of the bagel and pizza capital of the world. Um, <laughs> and so we we crossed the country. We got about to Knoxville. Then we went, uh, but I'm not going to bore you with the travel details. Benny, we went to a music institution place. And I think you know where I'm going with this. We stopped. At, you know, It's been written about in songs. It's been written about in literature. We went to the Cadillac Ranch. Oh, yeah? Yeah, what you was the was, vibe? What? It was. <laughs> what, was the, what was the vibe? <laughs> it was a bunch of Cadillacs buried in the ground and spray painted. It was That's crazy. It. It was That's a, it. I thought you were gonna say, "Oh, we went to the to the crossroads of blues, <laughs> you know, Graceland, uh, any number of things." But but went to the Cadillac Ranch. The Cadillac right? Ranch. Well, we did at go there. You, but... At least you've done one I've never done. So <laughs> you probably driven by it and were like, "Eh, I'm good." Yeah, I'm good on that. Yeah, let's get to the city. But uh, well, that's cool. You having a? How did you? How did you find driving across America? This was your first time, right? Dude, I loved it, man. We did it in four and a half days, which I thought was pretty good time. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, what were some real uh, highlights for you from the road? Had you ever driven through the desert? Had you, had you ever seen, you know, the mountains out in the west? Like anything really stand out to you? Yeah, man. So, uh, loved Memphis. Loved Memphis. I uh, saw my buddy who who does local TV down there. That was awesome. Hit hit up some local spots. Uh, did not like Nashville. Nah, Nashville. Like uh, a, little too, a little too worked up for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I need some of that grit. I, I need some of that yeah. dirt under my fingernails. That you get in Memphis, but uh, yeah, yeah, very different towns. Um, love New Mexico, man. Just stopped and just oh. ate a bunch. What a town. What a state. It it gets slept yeah. on a lot. Yeah, New Mexico. If like if for some reason. Like next week, you tried to get me on, and you're like, "Wait, where's Benny? He didn't answer the link." And then you like <laughs> called my wife, and she's like, "We don't know where he is. Uh, it's probably there." Yeah, because the high plains of New Mexico, mm-hmm. some next level kind of spiritual shit going on out there. I dig it. You get the <laughs> spiritual shit, then you get you know some fajitas, some margaritas, oh. some tamales. You're set. If you're not eating Mexican food from Texas <laughs> to California. On a southern road trip, you're a fool. 
That's all you should be eating. You should have nothing but Mexican food that, if you're from the East Coast yeah. and traveling across the West. That and some amazing coffee shops. I got to talk to you about this offline, but I I think there's something there. Coffee shops across across the Southwest. Oh my God, dude! Wow, didn't didn't expect that. Didn't expect that. Well, I'm glad you made it yeah. to Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles. There you go. A- now, just do the me and the Tune Up audience a favor, Denny. Mm-hmm. You do us a favor. Yeah. Just don't turn into a prick, okay? Oh, man, I can't do LA that. can fuck people up. You, you know the town that I'm You get in. invited to a couple foofy parties. <laughs> you meet like, oh, that guy was a minor character in this TV show. And then all of a sudden you're like doing crystal meth and you're just, you know, just be careful out there. It's a, it's a funky town, plastic town. I think uh, I, I think if, if my time working at a certain three-letter network has not <laughs> made me like that. I think I I think I'm kind of in the clear here. I remember one of the first times I was out in Los Angeles and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, are the rumors true? Is there always just like random people at random places? And literally like five seconds after I thought that, someone's like, yo, look, it's shit break from American Pie. <laughs> 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 and that's what LA is like to me. Like you go out. Great food, yeah. overpriced drinks. You got to drive everywhere, and you'll eventually run into some minor character from American Pie. That's right. All right, let's get into some more interesting stuff. Huh? Yes, please. So <laughs> we've talked about how I am in a city with a lot of music history. I drove through a lot of places with music history, so I can think of no better way to kick off the pod than by doing this day in music history. Do, 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 do. I love this one, okay? On this day... In 1967, in one of my favorite places, about five, six hours north of you right now, Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, 25,000 people turned up for a gathering of the tribes for a human be-in. That's right, be-in, which was a prelude to the Summer of Love. It was a spin on, you know, there was a lot of sit-ins going on at the time to protest the Vietnam War, and I think... uh, you know, this culture of people out in the Bay Area were trying to be in themselves and be with other humans, hence be in. So apparently thousands of beatniks, hippies, hell's angels and counterculture types went to Golden uh, Golden Gate Park. Uh, prior the, the year before LSD was banned uh, by California. And so this was sort of the impetus for people to get together. And they had... Um, you know, Timothy Leary there who shows up with yellow flowers in his hair and tells the audience, whatever you do is beautiful. And and uh, does the famous line, turn on, tune in and drop out. Uh, apparently. There was plenty of acid being handed around this festival and most people were in it. Uh, the Grateful Dead played Big Brother and the Holding Company, Jefferson Airplane, uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service and uh also spotted a Hell's Angels named Free Will and Frank, who watched the afternoon seem from atop a bus while playing a tambourine and crying with a head full of acid. So it was a six-hour free event in San Francisco that brought together pretty much every counterculture type of person you could have in that area as the, uh, the precursor for the summer of love. And honestly, I talk about this stuff a lot because I feel like I'm sort of some next generation extension of this. I've been capitalized more than them, but I really do appreciate these movements and um, what they were trying to instill at the time and how 
difficult it must have been, particularly in the 60s. We can see with our own eyes what happens when you try to change convention on conservatives. Uh, they usually don't deal with it well. So the fact that this crew in the 60s went so hard and so heavy, I appreciate. And I think it was ballsy. And I think they set a tone for uh, partially the way I like to live my life. So let's give some credit to the human being. I feel like when we eventually do the tune-up tour and we go across these southern states, that's going to be that's gonna be the name of it, the beat-in tour. <laughs> oh, I love it. Come on. You're going to have to do more drugs, Denny. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> little uh, the peyote tour through New Mexico. It's going to be it's going to be fun. All right, Benny. Uh, you know, we've been texting a lot about this guy. Seems to be in in the public consciousness again. Let's talk about a little David Bowie, shall we? On this mm-hmm. day in 1966, David Jones changed his name to David Bowie to avoid confusion with Davy Jones from the Monkees. Uh, <laughs> Just in time for the release of his single, Can't Help Thinking About Me, uh, he, he later said that he chose Bowie because he liked that, quote, big American bear-killing knife. Oh, the Bowie knife. Yeah. Wow, really? That's where he got yeah, it from? apparently. Wow, never knew that. You know what I always wonder when I hear stuff like that, Denny, is, you know, we've talked a lot about the small and minute variables that go into success. And, like... What if David Bowie chose another name? Is he as successful? Probably not. You know, there's like these weird things that have to go into place. And these things that you believe are arbitrary decisions or something probably have a pretty huge effects. Like what if he was like, no, I'm going to go, you know, David jingle from you know to to do this like could have went another way i mean i think he's i think he's tried to choose a different name twice once it worked out once it was, eh. we're not talking about the duke <laughs> are we let's not get into the duke one of the great <laughs> the kobe bryant and the kobe, kobe, oh, the kobe right. story let's keep Bowie. it moving let's keep it moving we don't want to anger the uh, music gods today but anyway benny we're starting to get in, into a, a season that we like here on the tune We're starting to get into festival season, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a bunch of lineups were announced, but none bigger than uh, the Coachella 2022 lineup. They got Harry Styles there. They're going to have Billy Eilish there, Swedish, Swedish House Mafia, uh, which w- with the way my accent, I can never say Swedish House Mafia. I, I always end up going sweaty balls. Um, <laughs> Eilish returns to the festival uh, after her 2019 stint that saw her being the youngest headliner ever. So, Benny, we got a lineup. We got a lot of people on there. Uh, some some good stuff. But let's start off here. Let's be responsible. Let's be the music responsible podcast of note. Uh, do you think that this is going to happen with the Omicron raging wild out here? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, this is where, uh, again, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, I wish it wasn't the case, but there's a lot of inequity in music, you know, as usual. And the um, people who can afford like, you know, gigantic outdoor stages and these kinds of systems are going to have a lot more shows than people who are in, you know, bars and clubs. And uh, yeah, so it probably will happen because they have the ability to keep it safe in a way that other people don't basically by keeping artists totally separate and everything completely outside i mean it's also in a beautiful place that never rains Hmm. and you know the idea that you'd ever have to go inside at all 
is probably out of it. So, I mean, again, I'm no epidemiologist, but by April, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, these winter surges will be over and it, they'll probably have it. Um, you know, can we, can we, uh, how, how much do you want to get into this lineup here? Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I was just about to ask you where, you know, cause I know that you probably get the VIP wristband you're, you're sitting on the couches drinking uh, mojitos because yeah. you totally strike me as a mojito guy, especially when you get it out here. <laughs> That's right. So who That's right. are you going to see, uh, with your all access pass? I mean, honestly, this is a tough one, man. Like I, and these are just where Coachella's always been too cool for me. Let's let's make that clear. Like even when Coachella was first starting and not as big, they were still like the the LA industry cool guy indie rock festival. So it's like you were never seeing like, you know, fucking municipal waste up there. Like these these are what's meant for. I think the most interesting thing about the lineup this year is what indie rock and pop is now and the fact that like well i guess we should just say indie because it's not rock anymore and i think the indie movement maybe because of you know the internet or just changing times and styles has leaned a lot more towards electric music and hip-hop and that's why this lineup is just filled to the brim with electric music hip-hop and pop like that's pretty much all i see um you know and the random you know rock artists that you do see that you would consider a rock artist you know like phoebe bridgers or idols or you know i don't know i'm like i ran out like even just after there you know they, they're kind of on a different level so i don't know if uh if they're making an absolute point to keep you know like straight guitar rock and stuff like that out of coachella but they may be, and that's okay because there are plenty of festivals for that stuff. Um, but to say, like, I can go through this list and be like, oh, I want to see this person. I go through it. I want to see Danny Elfman. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that's going to do. That would be great. I do love Billie Eilish. I think she's great. Um, always love her songs. Uh, I like Run the Jewels a lot. That would be somewhere you would probably find me. Um, no Kanye for you. No, fuck no. He's <laughs> he's going he's going to Putin's house. Oh, I see Pup is on it. Good for them. Of course I would go see Pup. You know, uh so yeah, it, it's the thing though, Denny, is like these festivals just aren't exactly made for me anymore. Yeah. You know, that this one never was, and then it's gone even too far. So I think it's gonna happen. I'm surprised to see the little baby still on these things. Hasn't that guy haven't had a rough year? Wait. Um, <laughs> So there's like like six babies doing their thing, like which is confusing. So there's oh, Dub Baby, this, and that's the oh, one that's Oh, Dub Baby is the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, okay, so Lil Baby's in the clear. Lil Baby's good. Baby. He's good, I think. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Don't I quote see, me on it. I see. Okay, okay. I should have known that. Oh, that's what ye is on Sunday? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Because he's going to try to try to do church at, at Coachella for all those heathens. He's warming up for the show at Putin's house. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I probably could have played this show. Oh, with Kanye. I see. I see Olivia oh, O'Brien on the lineup. Mm. Maybe if I played a uh, played on her song this year, yeah. played drums. Maybe if I 
lost a few LBs and put on some mascara, I could have gotten that gig, you know? I've been telling you, man, you got to get these songs on TikTok. You got to be you got to be the TikTok drummer. You know, Travis, he's he's out there doing these movies. I'm telling you, that's TikTok Benny 2022 resolution. But what do you think? I mean, we just talked about the the summer of love and, you know, like that was about 50 years before this Coachella lineup. Yeah. Do you think any of that spirit is hanging on in here? And that's that's where I like I ask that question, not even in a biting kind of way. Like, do you think these scenes, which I'm not too affiliated with, have that kind of vibe? Is there a free love, a new love, a drug kind of thing going on in this scene at all? This is a lineup that is, you know, it's not really like it doesn't really take any big swings when it comes to, mm-hmm. you know, like like really like creatively being out there. Because then there's also the thing that you have to think about be like, OK, well, we want to make this artistic statement, but we also want people to show up. And what do you and how do you try to get people to show up? Like like I see the people that are really getting booked on these festivals are these big like like TikTok artists and, and stuff like that. And I'm like pretty like you know they you know they may think that they're artists but in at, at some point they've kind of been vetted and they're here at these festivals so um to kind of roundabout way of getting getting to your question yeah i mean like i don't know how how much like peace love is in it but i know that there's like hey let me instagram or tiktok myself at this guy's show to seem cooler yeah yeah i could see it That's i mean I, I guess i guess i just hope for it you know i hope that you know, some of the, um, you know, the things that 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 uh, were the impetus for for outdoor music festivals and just the, the general vibe. I know it's gone corporate. I'm not trying to hold on to that too hard. But, you know, shortly after this, we're going to be seeing a lot of more major like Trump rallies and shit. And if you actually have something to stand for, this is a good place to stand for it. That's that's all I'm saying. Well, speaking of standing for something, Benny, we we both watched a movie independently over the break uh, that we loved. We watched Adam McKay's Don't Look Up, and Adam McKay just continues to be a, a rock star, even going back to his SNL stuff, uh, does right. some stuff down with my buddies at Metal Arc Media in Miami. Um, so he, a guy who's really with it, really all, all over the times, and his most recent feature film, Don't Look Up, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. It's one of the most watched movies on Netflix of all time. It's also one of the streamer's most divisive original offerings. Uh, Many critics of the film, um, as well as the awards body, are eating it up. It's got nominations at the wazoo. Probably going to be heavy in the conversation around the Oscars time. Uh, Viewers have been split, though, as you can imagine, in this country. When you make a pretty political movie, people are going to have an opinion on both sides of it. Uh, McKay recently told IndieWire that he welcomes the negative reviews, and he also has found that some of the film's haters to be, quote, utterly ridiculous. And part of this has to do with the backlash McKay himself tweeted out when the movie first came out. He's like, loving all the heated debate about the movie, McKay wrote on a tweet on December 29th. Uh, but if you don't at least have a small ember of anxiety about the climate collapsing, I'm not sure, quote, don't look up, makes any sense for you. So, uh, Benny, are you at all surprised about the backlash or is this just on par with the American political landscape? Oh, no, I'm certainly not surprised about the backlash. And I think Adam McKay must have made a uh, a, a pointed effort to do it in a certain way and knew the kind of backlash that was coming, like, You don't put Meryl Streep in red power suits the whole time. You don't completely mock the, you know, 
whatever the design style of you know the trump campaign and all of his followers and the way that the conservative news presents themselves like it's not like he painted that in a a good light or b a um uh let's say a diplomatic light you know what i mean he he painted it a very specific way which was fine with me because i agree with him but like that's where of course the people who you're making fun of aren't going to like it and are probably going to double down even further um but here's where i was i was speaking to my father about it hmm. and you know i I, I watch and I think it's one of the most effective pieces of satire I've ever seen. And probably the one that's um, spoke to me the most since I've watched Idiocracy, which is another one where as time goes on, I'm horrified by <laughs> the fact that that thing is playing out almost like a documentary in real time. Um, and, you know, my the complaint from someone like my father was that it's too heavy handed. It's too heavy-handed for Netflix. It's it's not subtle. Uh, it doesn't leave you with like that bitter taste in your mouth because of the silly scene at the end. He was like, you should end it like Doctor Strangelove and leave people in like a dark place and brooding and thinking. And I considered his thoughts and I thought, you know what? This is satire for the Netflix generation. Like, and 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 I don't mean that in a negative way either. I mean that in the way that. I think younger people who were raised with a hundred different streaming services and social media and phones, it is just a matter of literally like defensive personal safety to start putting up walls to information from time to time. And if you want something to really break through right now and really get the attention of people, I think you maybe have to be super heavy handed and kind of over the top. And if there's anything Adam McKay seems to have his finger on, it's like the pulse of what it takes to break through and what it takes to either make people happy or piss them off. Um, so the fact that I do agree it was heavy handed, I think that maybe it was necessary to tell this story. Um, it also, in a way for someone like me felt good, you know, some of the things that, on a day-to-day -day basis since probably 2015 at this point, I, I have the opportunity to slap my head in absolute awe of the just sheer ignorance and stupidity of some of the people that I share this country with. Um, and I don't necessarily blame the people. And that's one of the reasons I liked what we were seeing this time because people are scared. A lot of people are too busy or uninformed to know any better. And it's these tastemakers and the corporations and the politicians and all these people who have the power to sway all this stuff that are kind of fucking with people. And I appreciated that part about it. I, you know, I don't like when people are portrayed as totally mindless clones out there, but also I like the idea that it's like, hey, listen, like, People don't know what the fuck is going on. And there are these people that do know what the fuck is going on who are making the decisions and processing the information that has huge consequences to us. And we're not even privy to those conversations. We can't see them. 
We don't get to put our voice into them. And I think that was the biggest thing about this movie to me was the fact that like you watched an entire world of people at the hands of two by the end, you know, just the president and this, you know, free character who was some mix between what Zuckerberg, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos sort of perfectly. Um, So that's where I landed on the movie. Uh, And, you know, the one part about it that I keep going to and thinking about that kind of has been actually haunting me a little is the last scene where they're eating dinner and go to the grocery store and, and do this thing and be with your family. I am a little confused why Dr. Oglethorpe and the other ones didn't have their own family to spend time with. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know, if you're going to have an end of the world party, like maybe not be a a scientist you met five months before, (laughs) but I, uh, I really was struck with the idea of like, you know what? That's what I want to do at the end of the world. And that's how I'm going to do it. And as like the Leonardo DiCaprio of my family in that regards, I want to be the one who keeps pouring wine, keeps talking about fucking pie hmm. and kind of takes that thing for everyone else to kind of just, you know, what's happening. And And that line where he looks around the table and just says, you know, we really had everything, didn't we? It really struck me. And and, uh, I think that's something important to take away again is like, you know, we get lost on just how how fragile this all is. And I think that was a really nice, nice way to put that. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. I love the end of, of that movie, too. I thought that that Did was... I just a... talk for about 15 minutes? No, yeah, no, it's all sorry. good. Dude, it was a great movie. <laughs> it was... There was so much to unpack there. I totally understand, like, why your dad wanted it to end the way that it did. But you got to understand, Adam McKay has seen success with maybe one of the most rewatchable movies ever with Step Brothers. He's seen how people watch that time and time again. This is for Netflix. Now, I'm not saying that they made it in that way. I think he very much had the artistic freedom to do whatever the heck he wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you want people to see this movie over and over again, you kind of make it a comedy and you get your point in there. I thought that was excellently uh, executed. And, you know, just the way that the whole thing went down. But, uh, no, my whole thing watching this, I was like, this is what a Hitchcock movie would have been if that guy was funny at all. Uh, so it's like uh-huh. I thought that you kind of got, like, like the point of, like, the not quite, like, sciencey, but, like, it was, like, kind of strange and real and just really authentic. And I mm-hmm. loved everything that they were doing there. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. No, I think you're right, and it's a good point. Like, you had to keep some level of brevity on this thing to to make it something that people would watch more than once yeah 100 percent. all right benny do you want a hill jonah hill oh yeah jonah hill jonah hill that was good that was that was a (laughs) it was good to see him be funny again yeah it was wasn't it like he's good at it yeah he makes a he you know i i love that he's in this phase now where he's making a lot of artistic decisions because you know he's earned it you know he's got the box office numbers he can do what he wants but to see him be funny again loved it yeah, me too. Me too. All right, Benny. Well, a you know, we, to to borrow a phrase, we've had a sad, happy trail since we last potted. Uh, we've lost a couple of giants in the world of entertainment, sports, and everything. So let's just get right into it. Uh, we lost uh, since we last potted. We've lost Betty White. We've lost John Madden, and we've lost Bob Saget. Um, they were all surprising in their own way. Betty White was weeks away from celebrating her hundredth birthday. The TV specials were made. The articles had. 
uh, been scheduled to publish. Um, and she's leaving behind one of the most decorated comedy careers we've ever seen, one of the most decorated philanthropy careers we've ever seen. And really, if you want to talk about just getting the most out of life, Betty White did it, um, passing away at 99 years old. Almost said 100 there because I was in such a public conversation leading up to this. Um, but I think if you look at, at Betty White's comedy career outside of her family, outside of her philanthropy uh, she really had three separate acts there was the radio years where she thrived and and got notoriety notoriety then there was the golden girls years and then there was that proposal snl from like 2010 to like now so benny what is your favorite betty white memory um i mean it's got it it's got to be the golden girls but even more recently um my kids and i have been watching the 2010 movie the lorax oh yeah and Betty White plays the grandma in that movie. And I've been watching a lot of kids' movies, okay? So <laughs> I think I may be picking them apart a little too closely at this point for what they are. But one thing I noticed, and right off the bat, is like it just bounces out of the screen. It gave this like life to a character, these little lines and these little decisions that she must have made in the studio doing this character that just put her a little character with not a lot of lines like above the others. And I think like 70 years in the entertainment business at that point, maybe gave her some, some hints. So, so for me, you know, my, I, I wouldn't say at any point in my life, I was like, Betty Waits, like my favorite actress. Cause it just didn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, I was too young. She was on Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm -hmm. She was on Hollywood squares, like way before I was even alive. I knew her from the Golden Girls. Great show. And but her impact was almost more of like those uh everybody has so much undying respect for this person that I know I should too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, you know, the interesting thing when you talk about the Golden Girls is the amount of people that have went on to become big Hollywood stars that passed through that show. I mean, um, there was a there was an episode where George Clooney was on that show pre ER. Mm -hmm. Heck, even Quentin Tarantino was in the Elvis episode where there's all of like the Elvis dancers. Like he's like he's like in there like pre making all of his movies and stuff like that. Uh, but for Betty White, I mean, you know, because growing up when I did, it was kind of like you know, it was pre that. So like 2010 was like from like 2008 to 2010 is when I started getting into Saturday Night Live. And then the whole Facebook campaign to get her to host is like when I was really like, oh, right. like, like, let's go back and revisit this kind of career. Um, so she was really in the consciousness of popular culture when I was in like college and like stuff like that. Uh, the proposal was a huge movie. I don't probably wasn't a, a, a huge movie like when you were doing your thing as like a an, an adult, but like uh, rom com when you're in like that like teenage like dating thing like that was a movie to go to. I mean like you got mm -hmm. Ryan Reynolds, you got Betty White, uh, you got that's Sandra true. Bullock. It was a big movie. It was a big movie. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that time and then you know just as so you're you know, here for the proposal. I'm oh I'm 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 here for it. Come on. Uh, <laughs> and then you know as 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 you you know start to like do like these media studies in like college of this business and seeing how influential. Um, those radio years were and of, of forming what the sitcom was into what the sitcom is. And then obviously it doesn't get any bigger um, when it comes to like the social consciousness and social conversation of this country than the Mary Tyler Moore show, just big shows after big shows. And I mean, I, it's going to be hard pressed to find another career like that again. 
Yeah, 100%. Speaking of a person who has three things that you could know them by, three separate acts, big life, larger than life, you may know him as the Tanakhton guy, but we would be remiss on this pod if we didn't mention the passing of John Madden. I think it happened just as we were about to release our New Year's episode. Um, John Madden, the Hall of Fame coach who became America's most recognizable ambassador for football, uh, reaching millions and generations from both the broadcast booth and his popular video game that bears his name. Um, In my mind, he's one of the greatest ambassadors the game of football has ever had internationally because there's people that have never watched the NFL that play Madden all the time outside Mm -hmm. of this country. So, Benny, how do you remember John Madden as a coach, as a broadcaster, or for the video game? Or 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 for the video game. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I think I was, you know, in my very, very early teens when I started playing Madden on Genesis. And... I remember my father telling me at the time, oh, you know, he was a coach. I'm like, what? Really? He was a good one? Yeah, he's like, he won rings. He was this. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. And then, you know, you hear later in life, and, and I realize, I'm like, oh, that voice, that voice narrating the Madden game. I know that voice. That's the voice from when I watch football. And, and it wasn't like at that time there weren't other voices. Yeah. To me, it was Madden and Summerall. That was it. Yeah. That was my football voices. There were no other ones. There was no other networks, none of that shit. So I remember the first time I started playing Madden when I heard his voice narrating the game, I was like, I'm playing football. This is real. And it was one of the most real gaming experiences I could have possibly had. And apparently he was steadfast in the fact that his voice would do it. So I think he made a lot of interesting decisions in his life that way. I've heard some funny stories about him, like owning a owning a spot at the Chelsea Hotel. You know, he, he a lot of fun stuff going on in that Madden Cruiser in the summers. Like, apparently, he was a fun guy, yeah. like a good time guy with uh, some interesting layers. But the one thing I want to talk about that I don't think he's going to get a lot of credit for, and I don't know if even people see it this way, is is Madden and that game the precursor to people's obsession with statistics and fantasy? And I'll say that in the idea that, so when I first started playing Madden to date myself, this was before you could play a full season Mm. and there was no accumulation of stats yet. It was just, you play a game giants versus Raiders. (laughs) There you go. And I was such a nerd, even in my younger years that I would take the giants actual schedule I would play it on Madden I would pause it after each play and tally what the statistic was no no I'm sorry not after each play it kept the game stats Mm. so at the end of the game I would tally it go to game two tally it and by the end of the year I had 16 games full statistics for my Madden New York Giants (laughs) it wasn't even possible yet you couldn't even save it So I was already obsessed with like the statistical nature of football. It also brought in the rankings, which is another huge thing that like, I mean, how how often do you see someone's Madden ranking come out and they're like, yo, I'm going to bust this year to prove (laughs) that I'm worth more than a fucking 88 in Madden. What is this shit? Like it literally completely redefined the landscape. And then you go years later where not only you can play a full season, you can play uh 30 years of a franchise i once broke madden (laughs) 
I played Madden on PlayStation till the end. I played a franchise for like 37 years (laughs) and it just stopped. It just stopped. I got to the point 20 years in that it was redoing rookie classes from 15 (laughs) years before. And in my head, I'm like, okay, okay. That's just uh, uh, Marcus Johnson Jr. That's his kid (laughs) coming into the league now. And that's the way I would justify it. So it really like started this absolute obsession with stats that when I, I discovered like online fantasy sports, it was like, oh, here it is, <laughs> yeah. like in real time that I can access and grab myself. So I really wonder if you if you put it on a long form, how much the gaming of football led to the numerical fantasy aspect of football. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. The the my big takeaway and the thing that I really nerded out. So like by the time like I was playing it a lot, uh, it was like like you could like adjust your like offensive line coverage your pass protection um you're like all those like defensive schemes like prior to that people are just watching football people don't know oh like uh he got burned on on that coverage or like what like the route's supposed to be and let's i mean we can't talk about this without talking about the ask madden feature where it like explains (laughs) it to you i mean come on i a big a big part of the reason why the nfl now is so big in the in the rpo like the run pass option is because these kids grew up playing Madden and you wanted to be Michael Vick you did not want to be like well like Brett Brett Favre could run but like like, 99 speed out of your quarterback exactly exactly it was a cheat code that year so and and now like you're seeing like your 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 Patrick Mahomes like your the successful quarterbacks like even the guy who like 10 15 years ago would have been like a pocket passer you got to run now I mean like a guy like Josh Allen a little bit like 15 years ago isn't running Nah, that's true. Only old Tom can get away with it now. <laughs> the last of a, the last of a breed, Tom Brady. Yeah. All right. Well, Benny, we talked about Betty White before. We had a a one. We had a passing out of the blue, and this one hurts. Uh, Bob Saget has passed away at the age of sixty-five. Uh, Bob Saget. Uh, Famously, you know, I hate when these obituaries are be like, he's a raunchy comedian. He was a comedian that booked a couple gigs that were family friendly. Like he was a um, right. um, the dad on Full House, the a- the ABC sitcom, and then went on to host America's Funniest Home Videos and really kind of took that show and made it a institution. I mean, right. without Bob Saget, I don't think that that show still exists currently. But it's it just interesting to see the way that comics are remembering him as like one of the funniest, dirtiest comics. And yeah. then like the way people are like, not America's dad, who's like, if you got to be familiar with Bob Saget's work, his comedy is a more is a greater artistic expression than whatever somebody else's vision hired him to do. So, Benny, I'm going to tease it up to you like this. What is your favorite Bob Saget memory or work? Well, I got, all right. So my favorite memory is this. So I grew up watching Full House, of course. TGIF was a big deal. Uh, But, you know, I'm a kid. We were supposed to like Uncle Jesse. We were supposed to like cool Uncle Dave, you know, or or whatever his name was. Joey, I guess. I forget his name. Dave Coulier's character. And, you know, Bob Saget was like the nice guy dad afterthought a little bit. He was funny. But he played it straight. That was his job on the show. And of course, I always knew Danny Tanner. He was the (laughs) solid, good guy, dad type. And I looked at him like that. Okay. But then you have that in America's Funniest Home Videos. And I start growing up 
I thought Bob Saget was like just like a corporate <laughs> media Hollywood shill type guy because I hadn't known. So my favorite memory is when that movie, The Aristocrats, comes out. And I'm watching the trailers for it. You know, uh, have you ever seen Penn and and, uh, Penn and Teller's uh, film about that? The one dirtiest joke in history. And they go through all the different comics. And Bob Saget's like prominently (laughs) featured on this thing and tells one of the gnarliest (laughs) jokes in there where I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Danny Tanner? This doesn't seem. And then I find out like, oh, dude, Bob Saget's a dirty comic. His stand up is real like this and that. I'm like, I had no idea for like the first 15 years of knowing who that person was. And then after that film, I only knew him as a stand up and like someone who is way, way, way revered by other comics for the way he delivered comedy and also apparently for the kind of guy he was. I mean, uh, I watched a Jimmy Kimmel, you know, he gave five minutes on it before his show. It was very emotional. And, you know, everybody said he was just a sweet person. You know, one of those people who was always asking about you, always reaching out, always kind and warm. And, you know, I took a lot from that. I love when you hear the inside of somebody and the, the people on the inside knew you took care of them. I, I texted about eight people, that I care about after I heard that Bob Saget uh, anecdote. So I think my favorite memory though, was that that day I realized that Bob Saget was not Danny Tanner. I mean, cause I, I think everybody has it. And that's a cool thing about his career is, is he has these like different moments. Mine was, you know, this is going to tell you exactly how old I am. You know, the first time you watch the series entourage and, and it, it's like, it's like season four or, or something like that where, um, you know, he's, he's dealing with like E wanting to be the agent and he like, uh, wants to have sex on his desk and you're like, Oh my God, the guy from full house is like doing yeah, this. Right. So that's gotta be, that had to be like, like a huge like an awesome thing for him and be like people kind of discover like what my real vision is uh versus that but it also had to you know the downside of how we kind of pigeonhole people or used to more do that um into like oh like you're like this and getting outside of the box and really that's a you know i mean i'm I'm sure in music that happens a lot people kind of are known for one thing and then they want to do something else and making that transition is super hard so the way that he was able to transition his career and everything like that into what he wanted it to be i think that's super fulfilling and should be something we should shoot for yeah i think you're right he's one of the few people who actually managed the thing that everybody else wanted. I don't know if you saw the roast they did of him, but oh, yeah. you know, a good like 60 to 70% of the jokes were all like Danny Tanner, <laughs> America's funniest home videos jokes, like making fun of him for that. And at the end of it, he said, yeah, go ahead and suck my hundred million dollar dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the coolest things about that, I mean, he managed it. Yeah. He did like the actual dream. He went and made a hundred million dollars <laughs> and was on, the most wholesome like TV show there was and was still a very well-respected comic, like proper comic. So it's really the best of both worlds. Yeah. And some, some, some great podcasts that he's done recently with like uh, comedians now, like Bill Burr, like Burt Kreischer, like, so like really entrenched in like that community. And I I feel like it's tough to stay entrenched in, in a scene, but he did it. So. All right, Benny, you know what that music means. We're trying to keep stuff sexy, trying to keep, 
keep sports talk sexy. You're putting the wrong stuff in sexy today, my friend. Oh, no, man. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Chicago Bulls are, are, are sexy. And you know what could uh, be sexy? Yeah. You know what really could be sexy? The New York Football Giants. I, I mean, mean, it's got could D in be, front of it. Could be. Could be. It's, it's a long road. But the Giants have announced that they have fired head coach Joe Judge. Team president John Maris said in a statement that the team will uh, – uh, will hire a new general manager after Dave Gettleman's retirement, and that person will hire the head coach. So, Benny, when when we were doing picks on this show, you made no bones about it, how you feel about Big Blue. What or who are you looking for in the Giants' next GM and head coach? Well, I mean, this is a really, really unique point for the Giants. Um, the Giants have this long and storied history of hiring from within, especially for GMs. Gettleman was another uh, version of that. And I don't think, I, I believe it was the late 70s, 78 or 79, was the last time the New York Giants uh, hired a GM and a coach at the same time. Um, now, it seems to be a pretty successful formula for a lot of the league when the GM and the coach come in in lockstep. Um, it's There's a lot of modern examples of that working. So... I give the Maras and a new generation of the Maras a lot of credit actually right now for seeing the issue and and actually trying to move forward in a smarter way. It, the historically Giants way would have been to sort of double down on the old school, right? That's like always what the Giants do. Let's get back to the running game. Big blue defense. Get one of our guys in there as GM, you know? And it's just a different league and it's a different style and the Giants need to get a little smarter and savvier. So I was really happy to see that. I was surprised. Uh, the Gettleman, this was the end of the Gettleman era. Jones was his guy. That's gone through. He's never given any help. So I was not surprised at that. I was surprised at the fact that they let Joe Judd go this early. And apparently from uh, you know some insider sources who don't really report on stuff like this very much, it, it came from the, the team itself. And I think that uh, the Giants are always smart and they're slow and they fired Gettleman and they gave a chance to speak to the team and speak to Judge. And I think they walked away from it going, this guy doesn't have the locker room and it's pretty clear. And if you're going to lose that bad and if you're going to be such a dick in your press conferences and also don't have the fucking team, that's it. You're gone. You know, like, like, what's the point? So I'm really happy in what the Giants did. As far as a GM search, I don't fucking know, man. That's out of my skill set about what makes a good GM and what should go in there. I think there's a lot of great coaching candidates out there. I'd love to give Flores another chance. I thought he was pretty mm. good. Um, and what the Giants need, and if they don't do it, I'll be shocked, is they need a, a major free agent offensive lineman signing and at least – two picks in the top three rounds going to the offensive line. Uh, Daniel Jones can be picked up for one more year in his option. The Giants have zero other options at quarterback. Uh, you know, I don't see anybody coming up in college right now who's going to take that mantle from them. So I like the idea of keeping Jones. I think he's all right. Actually giving the guy a line for once, hoping for some health and, and moving on from there. You know, I think, you know, and it may be the lazy name to throw out for the Giants position, but I think that it, it, it makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, you've seen a bunch of uh, analysts on, on TV take the leap back into the league and be successful. 
Um, so Lewis Riddick and Big Blue, hmm. I, I feel like he's already in the New York area. Um, j- just a bright, sharp guy, a guy who just screams out, this is a opportunity. Now, like, the only thing that's interesting is, like, I don't think he would go to Chicago, even though, like, the, like, the Bears also a blue blood, Vikings also in the mix as well. But So a guy like Lewis Riddick would be interesting and then bring in Flores. But, man... I mean, I get that you're high on on Daniel Jones, but I feel like oh, I'm not high. I'm not. I mean, you're you're higher let's than take, most people. Let's take a step back here. <laughs> I, I'm I'm talking about options here, guy. You know what I mean? So I think this is the best option. I never said high. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like there's been multiple rumors that like Russell Wilson's going to be available this off season. I see. That's where I'm like, no thanks. No, really. You know? Yeah, I am. I like Russell Wilson. I think he's a good ball player. But from is that such a marked improvement to me from what this kid might be able to do with a proper offense? Like, I don't know. Um, But seriously, like how many times in this league have you seen an otherwise capable quarterback be ruined by the system and the team he was put in early on? It happens all the time. And, And, you know, I do think I've seen enough from this guy to give him one more chance, one more year with a couple more pieces let let the guy have three seconds to throw and let's see what he can actually do he's got some legs got a decent arm his decision making has been a little better i i do want jones one more year actually i love benny telling me that i've been seduced by a name yet again i've, I've been seduced by the bright lights of russell wilson and those championship rings and sierra russell, yeah, i mean <laughs> by next year russell wilson hasn't been running much this season like you know like is is he by next year such a marked improvement over that? Yeah, I don't know. Oh man! All right. Well, Benny, do you want to talk about improvements? Do you want to yes. keep improvements sexy? Do you want to keep basketball sexy? All right. Well, then let's move on and talk about the Memphis Grizzlies, who are simply put—they're destroying the NBA and they're having fun. So much fun. So uh, much fun. So let's let's go through. They're they're on this ten-game winning streak, but they beat the Pistons, the Clippers, the Lakers before a statement win over the Warriors at home. Boy, man, you have a big win over the Warriors and you go out on, on Beale Street. That's a dangerous time. Um, mm-hmm. So so they did that, um, and that brought the Memphis win streak to 10 games. John Morant missed the win over the Clippers, but he's been averaging 22.3 points, seven assists, six rebounds in the other three games. Um, and they've been doing this whole next man up thing, you know, and they've it was no different this week with Steven Adams, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, all missing time. Um, the Grizzlies are for real in the regular season, but can they make this energy, this movement happen once postseason comes around? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the eye test is here. It's not like this team popped totally out of nowhere, right? Um, had a good run last year, uh, went into the playoffs a little bit, gave some people a hard time. Um, so they already know they've already been there and, uh, I mean, listen, they're they're the winners of the last 10. They're 14 and 6 on the road, which, I mean, right off the bat, that number alone to me means that you're real and this isn't a flash in the pants. As you said, Jaw's on what? 25, 6, and 7 and and on very high efficiency. Dylan Brooks is scared of no one. Jaron Jackson Jr. is scared of no one. Bain is the steal of last year's draft. How good would Desmond Bain look on the Celtics right now? The team who traded him away. They need him a lot more than fucking Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford. That is looking like a bad move now. And, uh, you know, the thing, too, that I don't think they're getting a lot of credit for is their previous work, which 
has uh, Brandon Clark, Tyus Jones, Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, all coming off the bench when they're healthy. That is a deep, stacked team with a lot of different options. And then one other thing they have going into the stretch run that makes them even more of a uh, a threat in the West is the fact that they, they got some moves ahead of them. They got some flexibility. They have some players who could leave. I think Zaire Williams is a really interesting piece who might not be ready to contribute fully for another year or two, but might look real sexy to another team. So I think we might have another move in the Grizzlies too to uh, sort of fortify that postseason run. And a couple people have brought it up, but this team really looks like, I forget the exact year, but the first the first coming of Derrick Rose in Chicago. Mm-hmm. When out of nowhere, you know, this team, this real, you know, Joaquin Noah and Luau Dang and some of the pieces they had put together just all of a sudden got this firecracker fucking point guard who took him to the top. Did you see John Morant fly through the air and block that shot in his head in the backboard the other day? Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, for fuck's sake, I it was it was one of the few times I scared my wife, and I'll tell you why. I was watching the video on Twitter and I went, holy shit. Like, that's like so exceptional. That I'm gonna show my wife who doesn't care about basketball. And I go, I go, yo, I need to show you something. And she got nervous because of how rarely I do this. She thought it was something real. And I'm like, no, 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 watch this guy hit his head in the backboard. So like, it's so exciting. It's so fun. I am like all in on the Grizz. I, I think they're, they're my uh, Western Conference team for the rest of the year. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you, with, with Memphis. Um, and, you know, I really think that they have a chance in a weaker Western Conference to make this thing happen. I mean, look, like, I'm, like I think that them versus Phoenix, like, People talk about Phoenix all the time because they have this, uh, you know, because they went to the finals last year. Um, they still haven't gone over the hump. They don't have that championship medal. Yes, they have Chris Paul and, and everything. But sometimes, you know, you get you get the right youthful team with the right amount of veteran leadership, and they can o- overcome that. So I think a seven-game series with them and the Warriors would be fascinating right now. Uh, but I think we could be looking at a, a situation with Memphis where – they're one of those teams that we're excited about while while they're while they're young, but there's going to be that roadblock in their way, and that roadblock is in Golden State. Yeah, that's why I think Golden State at this point has to be considered everyone's roadblock. Yeah. I mean, what they did early on in the season without Clay Thompson, without Wiseman, with all these injuries and the kinds of options they have and the things they're bringing back—they're already championship pedigree. Um, how bad the Lakers look. I think it uh, it has really put the Warriors towards the top of that conversation yeah. to me. But the, but the great thing about Memphis is they're all around the same age. They're all young. They got yeah. ridiculous chemistry. Um, and, you know, just, just to see where John Morant can go, um, absolutely in, incredible. So I'm, I'm rooting for Memphis so hard this season. League, league pass these. You know what I hadn't realized till today, too? What? It's the smallest market in the NBA. Hmm. Fun you know? market, though. Like, like to like have that, that squad in that town, smallest market in the NBA, it's a lot of fun. I think it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm all for the Grizz. And you... I had a weird soft spot for the Vancouver Grizzlies back mm. in the 90s. <laughs> I like Steve Francis. I like Bryant Big Country Reeves. So I, uh, uh, Sharif Abdurrahim. I, oh. I dug the old uh, Vancouver Grizz. So I think I always have a spot, soft spot for the Memphis Grizz. You, you ever play on, on, on Beale Street there? At one of those uh, joints? I, I've played in Memphis, but never on Beale Street. Mm. I've just hung out on Beale yeah. Street, yeah. Fun time, fun time. 
alcohol to go before pandemic. <laughs> yeah. that, that's oh, oh, Beale Street is uh, Beale Street's New Orleans without all the rules, man. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we're gonna go from one blues capital to the other. Look at this music tune-up. Love this. Uh, let's touch on the uh, previously hottest team in the NBA, the Chicago Synergy. Bulls. Last week, they were 2-2 uh, two and two with wins over the Wizards and the Pistons, uh, but they did have losses. Uh, one big black eye on it is that loss to the Nets, where uh, Nets torched them. I mean, absolutely torched them. Oh, well, they took it to them. They yeah. took it to them. The Billy Donovan defense uh, took a night off. Uh, but five Bulls averaged double figures this week, led by Zach Levine's 19.8 points a game. Uh, the offense looked good, uh, but, man, Let's some of these points that they've given up uh, in these in the Wizards, Mavericks, and Nets game is ridiculous. Uh, 112, 113, and 138, respectively. You're not going to get out of this Eastern Conference with that kind of defense. So, do you like this team to get to maybe a, a conference finals? But I just don't think that they have the defense to get past the Bucks or the Nets. Sure. I think that's a fair thought. Um, now, I, I, as far as the Nets go, we don't know what to do with this yet. You know, numerically and statistically, when the three of them are on the court together, there's not a defense that's ever been made that can stop them. They are literally the all-time best offense in NBA history when the three of them are on the floor together. So all bets are kind of off there. I'm not sure if that was Chicago or something else, but their defensive problems are real. We knew that when they brought in Vucevic. He's a decent player, but not exactly you know, your modern uh, defending five and the types of things you can do. You know, Levine, you know, he tries. You know, he's, he's there. A lot of the guys are there. But I think uh, Caruso has been out for a long time, and that was their uh, perimeter answer to these problems. But I have a feeling if Chicago wants to make a deep run at this point, the solution to that is either Patrick Williams getting back from injury or fortifying that piece. They need one more. Mm. They need one more wing who can go out and defend on the perimeter and body a little down low. Patrick Williams was actually like the perfect fit. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's exactly what they need right now, ironically. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it back before the end of the season at all, but I think that's the piece they need to actually go ahead and maybe make a deep run without this defense being a problem. Um, the one thing that's interesting, uh, you know, I heard a bit of a deep dive on DeMar DeRozan this week. I think an ESPN Daily piece on him. And what I hadn't realized, what I don't think anyone realized, it's not very reported, was, you know, the last year or two in San Antonio, he had a very sick father. His father was a very important part in his life. And he was, you know, leaving after games and flying home and flying back. And I've had to do stuff like that when I was touring around and trying to stay focused on work and, as much as you would like to think you can handle it, you know, your occupation suffers a little and it has to, and it's taxing. And, you know, I bring this up about the DeMar DeRozan thing to get away from the bulls. I don't think we consider the real lives of these people enough and how much it affects performance. Is there any other corporate environment that we would show such a short rope for empathy where it's like, how many times do you hear about, oh, like that guy's mother died. He has this game off. And then he's back like a day later and you're like, why did you put up 20 and 10? You fucking asshole. And we just don't even consider it, you know? And I think that's such an important part of this. You're watching 
a very, very great player reflourish, and partially because of the lack of internal baggage, you know. And and this is where, uh, you know, people want to talk about performance metrics and things like that so much, and they spend so much time on angularizing the physical condition of these people. <laughs> Have you ever asked them how they're feeling? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, people like this thing. It's to the point where it's not even about empathy anymore. It's about just running a sound franchise in a sound business, you know? I mean, I, I think that that's most corporate America environments. Yeah, they'll give you like a week to two weeks like off. But the emotional baggage that it overtakes or that it takes to overcome that, they're not they're not really there for you. And and yes, there's been in initiatives with like paternity leave now and like with all of that stuff like counseling. There are good work environments and it's getting better. But that's like most corporate places they kind of like the bottom line comes before all all else and in the case of the nba it's your stat line and it's wins or losses and it's it's it, it's sad to see but i think that the nba above all leagues is the the league where they have a bit more empathy but if you lose yeah. you're still gonna be traded for sure but you know even the even if we take this from the cold-hearted pragmatists approach what I'm saying is it's good for the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like, like that's the thing. Like if you actually recognize these things and you can enhance the performance of the people you're paying, that's still your bottom line. Yeah. And that's where I think the allocation of resources, like we need to be, cause just saying, Hey, we need to have more empathy. That's not a real solution right. to an actual problem, mm. you know? Um, but actually moving resources over to that side, is a real solution to it and would probably help your bottom line, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, a, a productive worker is going to help. But uh, a change of scenery, uh, especially in such an emotional, physical job, like being a professional basketball player is definitely what he needed. And the right environment, the right coach, like a guy like Billy yeah. Donovan buys into everything that DeMar's been about his entire the career. The right guys around him, you yeah. know? I, I mean, I've been to San Antonio a few times. It's a good town. Mm. Actually, it's surprisingly really... You know, the waterfront's great, good music scene, like pretty vibrant, great food. I actually really like San Antonio, but, you know, after a few weeks. It's not Chicago. <laughs> probably run out of some shit to do. <laughs> well, Benny, we've run out of shit to do on this podcast. Plenty <laughs> of ways to get in contact with the show. Uh, you can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Uh, if you want to follow us on all the social platforms, your Twitters, your TikToks, your Instagram, we are at the tune-up HQ everywhere. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Plenty of videos coming out there. Um, and, and maybe a, you know, tune up radio live show. Who knows? Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one, uh, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah. Denny, just do me a favor. I don't want to pop into this feed next week and see the, you know, very expensive blazers, <laughs> Warby Parker glasses. You're going to be talking to me a little different, <laughs> like, Hmm, Benny, what does this relationship do for me? So be careful out there in Los Angeles, my friend. I'll give you the hint that a Brooklyn cab driver gave me when I first went out to L.A. He said, make your money and get out. <laughs> you see this exposed wood up here? That's not craft. There's mold up there. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to the tune-up. <laughs> <laughs>